G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. I'd like to start by thanking Juro for allowing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Um, tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Daniel Palmer from Spring Valley Kelpies. G'day. He's down. <laughs> Palmer will, uh, Dan will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you going? All right, how are you guys? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, thanks, mate. How uh, how was your day? Oh yeah, eventful, that's for sure. <laughs> Bloody run running ragged everywhere. Isn't oh, every day right. eventful in the pumper household? Hey. Isn't every day eventful in the pumper household? Yeah, when you got a mad mad man like me and a mad kid like me, Jesus Christ, anything's possible. <laughs> uh, we might as well jump straight into it. You want to tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, and then jump on to what you're doing these days? Yeah, so I grew up out at Ningen, uh, where the big Bogan statue is located. Um, yeah, oh, it's only a small little town, a couple thousand people there. Um, used to, when I was a kid, we grew up on a farm. Um, my old man used to work for a bloke out there. Uh, and then when I was about, sort of, I think it was about eight, eight ten or something like that we moved into town and um yeah grew up in living in Ningen there for a while and playing plenty of footy and cricket and yeah every school holidays i used to go out to where my father used to work for two weeks and go and work for that fella and yeah that's how i used to get a little bit of experience and uh mum would just she mum would take me out there drop me off and i'd just fend for myself living an old little beat up cottage out there is good fun that's the way uh, what about these days what are you up to yeah so now i manage a farm at yeovil um about 2200 acres mixed operation uh merino self self-replacing merino flock um and also self-replacing short horns um and then yeah there's oh we do about i think it's about 500 acres of crop on here as well so yeah, there's plenty of plenty of work to be done. You know, I, I'm on here on my own, so mm -hmm. yeah, I've got more than enough to keep me going. And and tell us, mate, a good-looking uh, fellow like you, mate. Why the why the um, agriculture industry, mate? Why aren't you a model or something? Yeah, I picked agriculture. Like mum and dad, they grew up on places. Mum's a Queensland girl. She governessed on a couple of big places up that way. Um, and then dad came out of Australia, grew up on farms as well. So, yeah, and then obviously as we were living as kids on, on, a, on a place at Ningen there and just, yeah, loved going to work with dad and any chance I could get. And um, when we moved town, it was quite disappointing, but every chance I got, I'd go. Um, yeah, it's just it's the lifestyle. It's, you can't beat it. It's good. Ever thought about doing something different, mate? Yeah, I did. I it was sort of a couple of options there, um, you know, while we were in town and that I was playing footy and cricket, you know, I always wanted to try and play either one of those professionally, but I was too crap at both of them, so I couldn't do it. <laughs> and when I was a younger kid, you know, I was, I was mad keen on bull riding and, you know, every time I could buck a steer out at bloody calf marking or something, I took my opportunity and... <laughs> I'll still do it now if I get a chance. <laughs> yeah. and, and playing footy there, mate. You mentioned about playing younger footy. You were coached by one of the one of the greats in our industry. Oh yeah, big Gaz. He coached me. He was horrible. He was horrible. And he made he used to make us run the guts out of us. It was horrible. He was yeah. We were all mentally damaged after him. <laughs> he's hearing all of it right now while he's watching. So yeah, good, good. Got <laughs> this <game>. in. <laughs> mate, away away from dogs. Um, mate, do you have any ho other hobbies or um, things that you like to do? Yeah, so I run a little doony start as well. Just started out. Um, that's my little hobby on the side. I want to try and grow that. You know to get it up up with the big boys in the industry um in time but so at the moment that takes up a bit of hobby a bit of time outside of dogs um yeah and then just spending good quality time with the family that's another good hobby that i really enjoy 
especially the young fella. He's he's just mad. He's mad as a snake. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much all the hobbies I've got. Family and sheep. No, that's it. Um, so obviously Gary was influential in your footy career. Um, how about the dogs? Was there anyone who inspired you? Yeah. So yeah. Oh. Gary, I bought my second ever dog off Gary, which is, you know, everybody sort of knows the dog, old Benji, so the laughing stock of care. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of that moment. But, uh, but, yeah, Gary was, he was there to start me out a bit and um, I used to pester him all the time, he'll tell you that. Um, you also got Dave, Dave Motley. He was, he's quite influential and... Um, Oh, even me good old mate, Matty Fletcher, he's always been there to pick the pieces up for me when I'm feeling a bit blue or anything about me dogs. He helps me out a bit and, yeah, they're the three sort of main fellas that have got me through and um, one bloke I sort of always looked up to, you know, was Greg Prince. If you're ever at a trial, I just, the main goal was, well, I just wanted to, you know, I wanted to beat him, but sadly that's just not going to happen now, but, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah, just, he was, he was a father that I just loved watching him work a dog. And what was that, mate? Nope. You go, Dan. All right, what, why was that? What, what did you love watching about him? Oh, he just looked, mate, look easy, you know. It was no real grizzling, no real growling, and, you know, he, he just made, made working dogs look easy. And, you know, it probably is. A lot easier than what some of us make it out to be, but you know, he just had all the patience in the world, and um, yeah, he was just a genuine bloody champion at it. So just always in awe of him. Did you ever get to spend time with him away from trials, clinics, or anything? No, I never went to one of his clinics, and one of the regrets I've got at life. But um, you know, these things happen. But. Uh, yeah, you know, I had a dog trial. You'd sit there and get on the beers with him, and he was he was good, Larrikin. He was funny as you know, and yeah, he he enjoyed a drink just as much as the rest of us. So, ah, fantastic, man! As a young whippersnipper, mate, you head up north as a jackaroo. Yeah, I only went as far north as Kunnamulla for about twelve months. Um, I had a bit of family up there too, so it made the move a bit easier for the twelve months I was up there. So. That was good fun up there. It was a 320,000 acre farm up there I was on. and um, That was back in 2013. And, oh, what day? had about 60 or 70,000 merino sheep, plus another sort of 10 or 15,000 head of um, oh, cattle, that mix, drought master, Angus, shorthorns. It was just a mixture of everything and anything. And quite a few of them were as mad as a cut snake. They were, yeah. They wanted to kill you, some of them up there. And what do you, what do you learn up there, mate, that you brought back down here with you? Oh, yeah, a lot of things, you know, just uh, trying to learn a bit of patience because up there you got long walks with your stock, you know. Patience. Yeah, patience. Have you carried that on? Yeah, well, I try to. Sometimes <laughs> it doesn't work with me, but anyway, <laughs> I had patience. Era. that was <laughs> but um yeah you learn you learn to be uh patient but also brave because you know with some of those mad mickey mickey bulls and stuff that were up there you know you had to be brave trying to take them on especially if you had to throw them on your own you know that was that was an adrenaline rush that was and um yeah but patience was the biggest thing because you just had long you know you'd be walking cattle or sheep 20 k's in a day that was all, you know, and you mushroom 10,000 acre head paddocks. So it's, yeah, patience was a big thing for up that way. Oh, fantastic. And, and then when you've come back south, mate, you worked for a couple of the bigger corporations, you know, over there, um, down south there. And uh, and then you mentioned Carrot there back with the HM. What did you take away working for a couple of different um, organisations in different um, scenarios? Like, you know, you, you're in the feedlotting, you're, you're back out there at uh, Romani. What what did you learn from those those environments? 
Yeah, so you learn what I learned was um, how to work with, you know, big teams of people. Um, you know, you're not just solely there on your own. You're you're in a big company, so you got to you got to work as a team. Um, there's, you know, like like the saying is, there's no eyeing team. So, you know, you, you just got to work together. But you're working with a lot of big numbers as well. In a couple of companies I've worked for, you know, at Cow, we were on the feed lot. We had seventeen thousand head of sheep on three and a half thousand acre block. You know, and there was basically only two of us there. You know, so you had to, you really had to gel with each other. And you know, then when I was back down at Harden, there's a twenty thousand odd acre place there with fifty fifty thousand head of sheep. So you just got to learn working with people and. Um, work as a team and don't work against each other and if there's you know if there's disputes there we just got to ha- you know get over it and move on can't sit there and you know stare over it and all that kind of crap and then when it comes to the livestock side of things well you know you just have to you just have to get it done you know there's no mucking around and did you apply that to your own team when you're working mate like when you're having issues with it like it's your own dogs, you know. You go, all right, let's put things aside and let's get back on the job. And yeah. Went your way. Yeah, well, you know, the way I work, especially with other people, is you know, if somebody's got their dogs off, well, mine are on the ute, you know, and if they feel that their dogs are getting tired, I'll let them make the decision. You know, if things aren't getting done, well, then you just got to, you know, you pipe up and just say, all right, I'll let's let's swap some dogs out or something, but. Yeah, definitely my team sort of changed. Um, you know, I, I tried to make them a bit more pushy and all that, you know, trying to get the yard work done a lot quicker and get sheep into the yards quicker and the patience went out the window a bit from when I was at Cunnamala. Because, you, yeah, you're just under the pump all the time. And, um, yeah, and yeah, that's all sort of had to change now, back to being patient because I've got the time. I'm not in a big rush anymore, so it's... Yeah, definitely the dogs sort of they had to they had to try and adjust quite a lot all the time. How did they go doing that? Yeah, actually, surprisingly, I was quite impressed with how you know my dog sort of handled it. You know, um, I had young dogs coming through at times, and you know they handled it really well. And I, I was actually quite surprised on you know how well the dogs transitioned from. Trying to be a bit, you know, a bit more of touchy feely, paddocky style dog. To happen to become a bit more pushy, and they, you know, they, they went with me, which was, which was, I was really pleased to, you know, have that pack of dogs when I did. And, and on, yeah, 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 there's just a question here from Chris Egan. Has there been a particular moment with dogs that has steered you in the direction you are now with working styles and lines? Yeah, so. This one goes back to Kanamala and my good old faithful Benji. Um, when we we're up there, he he taught me a lot about you know obviously patience and all that, but he just taught me a lot about stockmanship. So that you know, I remember one day walking about five thousand head of weathers down a fence line, and all you had was about a oh, two ute width down the fence line of clear country, and the rest was just thick scrub. He, he sat out on the head and just kept backing off the head, just holding them up enough to let them walk and did that for about 5K down the fence line without me saying anything. And in, I'll never forget that moment that that dog did that. And he was only young. He would he would have only, oh, he would have been just around two. And, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. That yeah, that, that dog up, up there, that dog, he, he busted himself for me and I'll never forget him. Or, and I suppose that wouldn't have been the only situation where he would have got you out of shit or helped you along the way either. With uh, memorable moments, yeah. No, he's 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 helped me a lot more than some other dogs. You reckon that uh, you reckon who you reckon on top, mate? He helped you more, or you help him more? Oh, no, he helped me more. Uh, and, and while we're talking about Benji, um, Ollie Hansen has a question. Who is your most influential dog in your breeding program and what do you like about them? Is that Benji or someone else? Yeah, well that, that is old Benj. Um, I've had 
quite a few litters to him, uh, some that haven't worked. But, yeah, he's definitely the dog I want to try and keep there in, in, in my bitch line, if I can, try and get a couple more by him, if I can. But um, what I just liked about him was his, his natural heading instinct. There was no teaching it. He, he learned all that himself. He already knew how to do it. He just knows where the sweet spot on stock is. Um, and then he actually... You know, it, it doesn't look like it a lot of time, but he did, when he was a younger dog, he had a bit of go about him in the yard, you know. He, he's got a monster bark on him, and he, I wouldn't let him bark in a shearing shed because oh, it'll send to death some days. But, um, yeah, no, he's the most influential dog in my breeding program. And yeah, if I can try and get something similar to him again, I'd be very one one happy person. I just yeah. think Ben would have a few stories to tell about you too, if you could talk with him. <laughs> they wouldn't be good, I can guarantee that. <laughs> he might have a different thing to say about the patients. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, de <laughs> he definitely would. He, like a lot of people say, if dogs had guns, a lot of us would be dead. Yeah. He would have shot me 15,000 times, I reckon. And, uh, and you mentioned Bark there with Benj. How how do you think bark influences different types of wet and dry stock? Yeah, well, like up, especially up that northern country, you know, where, you know, stock don't get worked a hell of a lot. Um, when it comes to yard work, you only need a slight bark and you'll have sheep just fly, you know, yeah. whether it's up the draft, up a race. You don't need much of a dog. And even out in England way, you don't need much, you know, so those... Uh, sheep in that bigger areas, uh, you know, bark is good, but you only need a little bit of it because otherwise you'll just cause yourself headaches. Um, <coughs> down this way, where the stocks see you a lot more, um, <coughs> uh, yeah, bark, you need a lot more and you need a bit more direct bark. <coughs> oh, sorry. <coughs> Bloody hell. Um, what I mean, a bit more direct is more direct sort of into the mob um, and direct onto the, head, onto the head because, you know, if you if you sit there and chastise the tail, well, you're not going anywhere. You know, yeah. so there's no point chastising the tail. And when your leaders are your leaders, you need to be a bit more direct onto them. So, it's, yeah, bark, bark works. It just depends on how you use it in the different scenarios. How about when um, you're processing lambs, and I'm in big numbers every single day, how did you find bark affecting the stock through, through um, with flow through your weighing systems? It depended how you used it. If you used it, yeah, where, where our way setup was um, under a shed, if you tried to use it up there, well, you're taking your pressure away from the tail end because you needed to hold pressure because we had a serpentine sort of setup. You needed to hold pressure at the tail just enough so they just kept coming. It, it was a it was a bit of a poor design, but sometimes sometimes it did work. But um, too much bark, especially on young sheep, just balls them up and you go nowhere. Yeah. If you use too much, you know, and in the wrong times, if you use wrong time yeah you, you'll just ball up young stock and they just they just get used to it and they just go yeah it's white noise now it just means nothing um so you just gotta yeah you gotta be real careful how you use your bark i reckon and what about a team of similar dogs or do you like each dog to be slightly different and have their own strengths or do you like them to have similar sort of strengths yeah all my dogs have different strengths at the moment, and I quite like it. Now I've got, <clears throat> I've got a couple more sort of paddocky type of dogs, but and then I've got a couple of dogs that, you know, they're pretty much all yard work, um, and that's how I like it. I like to be able to, you know, <clears throat> um, we've got a bit of a cold at the moment. <laughs> Send the boss out for a water, mate. <clears throat> Throat's playing up. But, um, yeah, no, I like to have a variety in my pack because 
not every job's going to end end the same or start the same. I don't think anyway. You know, you go to you go to somebody else's farm. You don't know what their stock are going to be like. So that variety in your dogs, I think, I quite like it. I don't like to have every dog the same because yeah, when if they're all the same, well, uh, you know, it doesn't really add anything to you. I don't think. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, <clears throat> yeah, Laura. I was just gonna say, um, no, you go, Daniel. It's all right. No. You mentioned that old Benj was your second dog. Who was your first? Oh, an old dog. Uh, I got from my brother-in-law's birthday present. Oh, I was still at school when I was about sixteen. Uh, Collingwood Buster, he was called. Um, he was a good dog. Like he, he died way too young. He died at three from a snake bite when I was up north, but. He was he was a good dog, you know, real good paddock dog. He didn't head stock like you know, like old Ben's does, but he was a bit like a bit of a driving type of dog that I had up there. You could start mustering, you'd ball up a bit of a mob of sheep and just point him in a direction, drop him off, and you could go, you know, chase the pilot. He'd be up there telling you where more sheep and or cattle are. You could just leave Buster there with the stock and. You knew he just plodded him along. He didn't. He said, "I got all day with this mate." And, you know, sometimes I'd come back. He'd be fifty meters back behind the mob, just sitting under a tree there, just watching them. They weren't going anywhere. But he's just sitting there watching. I'd bring another mob in, and he'd come twaddling on up and fix them up and get them going again. And he'd leave them again for another hour or two, and he'd still be just poking along with them in the right direction. He was he was a good dog to have up first, I thought. Definitely. And you obviously spent that time up north and worked cattle and sheep throughout the East Coast. Um, what to you makes a good cattle dog versus sheep dog? And what about an all-rounder? Yeah, good cattle dog. There's sort of, there's a couple of ways to have a good cattle dog. And, you know, you got that good square up, you know, that good calm strength, you know, where a dog's, Happy to walk in nose on nose with a beast, and you know if it if it needs it, hit it on the nose and move on with your day. Um, but then there's also that other dog when it comes to handling big mobs of cattle, where they, will come around the side and just sort of hit 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 anything with its head sticking out and just tuck it back in. And I think they're they're still valuable, especially when you're working big mobs of cattle. So there's a, those couple of types of cattle dogs, and then yeah, good sheep dogs just. He's got to be patient because, especially if you work with Marinos, well, they just they just want to die a lot of the time, you know. So you got to be patient when you're walking them, uh, you know. Yeah, and then big composite ewes and that they want to try and take you on, and so you got to have a bit more, a bit more strength on them. But you actually got to once you get big composites walking, you got to sit off them because otherwise they will try and lay down if you keep handing them. They'll lay down and they are, you know, they're 100, some of them are 100 kilo. So, and then, yeah, so a good, good, good paddock dog, good, good sheep dogs, just something with a bit of feel and just a bit more, you know, happy to take a little bit more time. And where a cattle dog, he's got to be, he's got to take his time, but, you know, he's allowed to come in and just scruff it a little bit, I reckon, and make yeah. his, make his, you know, make himself dominant. Um, and then that good all-rounder, well, they are out there. I, I can guarantee you they're out there. We don't always see them, but they definitely are out there. And to, to be that, well, you, you know, you've got to have good – got to be cool, they've got to be calm, but they also got to have a bit of fire in the belly when, when needed, I think. And, you know, good, just a good, calm, strong head. You know, under pressure, stay cool and calm and collected, but – you know, if you need that fire in the belly for when rain's coming and you've got to put sheep in the shed, well, he's, he's right there beside you firing up. If you get cranky, he's starting to fire up more and more and more. I think, you know, some of those dogs make good all-rounders. Have you got anything coming through that you really like, mate? Oh, yeah, a couple of young, young dogs there. Young young Benji bits, it's, she's been going pretty handy, you know, becoming pretty handy and... um. Uh, she's out of uh, a bitch called U-Bit Meg. 
he, she goes back to Motley's bounce and there's a little bit of Karana back in her mother's side and then, yeah, by old Benz and, yeah, I was a bit surprised actually how she handled cattle. She was she was actually keen to get in there and mix it with them. Yeah. Um, I've actually sort of never really, never had a Benji dog actually want to, you know, properly mix it with them. And she's pretty keen to get in there and get, a, get amongst it. So when I saw that only a couple of weeks ago, I was pretty happy. And, uh, yeah, a couple of young pups there, they're, they're all right, you know. They might make a grade, but we'll just see what happens in time. I'm not putting too much pressure on it. Question here from Mark Curry, mate. You just um, <laughs> with all the breeds of sheep there, why have you chosen to go down the Dooney path? <laughs> uh, I was waiting for something like that from him. Oh, look, like I've told a few people, and I told him, but um, when I was down care, I first got into my sheep down there. And, I bought some Doonies and I bought some Merinos and they got shorn together at the same time. We had some really bad weather come through and the Doonies just held up. They, they, you know, they charged on and the old Merino, well, she just fell in a massive hole. <coughs> so I just thought that, you know, the durability, the survivability was just, it was unreal. So I thought, well, let's go, let, you know, let's breed them. <coughs> Fair enough. Um, Pete Rutherford's asked, for a dog to make it into your team and potentially breed from, what trait or traits might, uh, must it have? Sorry. What trait or traits might it have that are a must-have and what what faults can you live with if the must-have, if it has the must-have traits? Yeah, so the must-have traits is, uh, uh, yeah, I do like that more paddocky-style dog. You know, he's got to have nice, good feel. And I want him to be able to, you know, get to the head. Doesn't have to be right smack on, you know, the head because it's very, very few dogs hit right where they need to. But if he's pretty close to it, you know, they're sort of traits I really want. Um, <clears throat> also, I want a sort of dog that wants to work with you, not against you. As soon as they start wanting to work against you, they're out the door. I, you know, attitude, attitude to be with you. That's that's a that's a must. And I can oversee, you know, a little bit of paddock ability, or you know, um, a little bit of feel or something with it for a dog that can have that attitude to want to be there with you. I can see past a lot of a lot of other things, <clears throat> but can't see past attitude. You know, it's that that one's a must, and yeah, you know, the best attitude dog I've probably got is old Cosmo. Yeah, he's tied to me hip. You know, from a young pup, he just follow you everywhere. He wouldn't leave your side, and he he's put his body on the line for me countless times. You know, so a dog like him, and he doesn't have the best feel outside. He's he's a trained. He's a man-made dog outside, <coughs> uh, but in the yards he was he was a you know real handy dog in the yard. He didn't have a lot. Of, he didn't have bark, but he had a lot of presence. Um, you know, so but he just had that attitude to want to want to be with you and want to do it for you. So well, I can see past a hell of a lot for that. Yeah. <clears throat> and liking a dog with. Um... You know, natural heading ability as good as it can be, and working in a lot of different places. How what what cast do you like, and how do you go about teaching the cast that works for you? I don't cast me dogs a hell of a lot. I'm pretty lazy about it. I'll just drive to the stock because a lot of the places I've been, you know, down south and that the paddocks aren't real big. You know, you can see the sheep, so I'll just go ah, bugger. Let's just hurry up, get the job done. Um, but I'm starting to get back to casting now. But, um, you know, I do like that that good oval shape sort of cast where he starts wide, he holds it out there, and, you know, and then drops in deep on stop. Because if he just, you know, cuts in and doesn't drop in deep <clears throat> and upsets those stock, well, it takes you a bit longer to 
bring everything, you know, back to a walk and calming them down. And I've, you know, found over the years, you run, if you run sheep or cattle to the yard, well, you just make life so much more difficult in there because they're tired, they're a bit hot, they don't want to run. Where if you walk them in calmly, get them in there, you can put the, you can put the pressure on them and they'll they'll run through the yard. So yeah, casting yeah that good oval shape sort of cast where he just holds that good nice line out um, and then drops in deep to teach it. You know, um, I'll, I'll start a dog on the fence line, so we'll just set the sheep up behind me. It'll go dog me sheep. And we'll just start at 20 metres, work from that, work both sides, get it right, and then I'll just start moving down the fence line. We'll get, you know, just keep going another 10 metres at a time or 20 metres at a time, whatever, till you, 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 you know, you're nailing it at 100 if you can or getting pretty close. And then, um, <clears throat> then take it away from the fence and go and do it out in the middle of the paddock. And why that fence line? Well, it just eliminates the fact that the dog can overrun. You know, he can only run to a certain point and he's got to stop. So that certain point's either going to be smack on the head or it's going to be on the tail of the sheep. And then you just, you, you know, you allow that little bit of time for him to introduce himself. So, and then you're, you're not far away, so you're in control of the situation that you just can't come in and bomb him. So you, from that moment on, you're just teaching him, you know, drop in deep, mate, and stay out there. Just, just, you know, introduce yourself for a few seconds first before you actually want to move on. Yeah. And you've got, were you going to say something, Dan? Uh, you're right. I was just going to say, you've mentioned feel a fair few times tonight. What is feel to you and do you think it's something that can be taught or it's more natural? It, it it probably is more natural in a dog to have feel if he's got it. But I reckon you, you can sort of teach it, but you're not going to have it as good as what a natural field dog does. Um, like I said, Cosmo's a man-made paddock dog. I taught him how to feel for his stock a bit more. Um, took a while, but we got there. Not as good as some of the other dogs I've got. Um you know, my the definition I think of feel is is that dog that can just get in the right position on any size mob of sheep, and they just they move. To me, that's feeling. You're feeling for the you're feeling for the position that's going to make the most, um, you know, create the most flow if you stop. He doesn't, you know, he, the dog might be fifty meters back behind him or something, and just find that right little spot that the sheep or cattle or whatever can just go oh yep you know i'll respect you and i'll go um you know so i think yeah it feels it's quite a positional thing and and it's also a patience thing as well you know don't go in and rush and stop and those dogs that might lack it how do you go about encouraging more of it mate well you just gotta you gotta pick your dog you know if the dog's got a lot of presence well you need to get him out wider to you know to try and teach that feel um you know if a dog doesn't have as much presence well you know you got to try and encourage him and try and encourage him in onto his stock a little bit more to to make something um yeah like i was old cosmo he had a lot of presence so i had to really push him right out get him way off his stock and make him hold out there for ages and ages and ages and it took it took quite a long time and then you got Dogs that I've had, you know, Turbo and Banjo, they, they have that natural feel because they're stopped, you know, and they teach me a bit more about it on how to handle those natural sort of feely dogs. So, yeah, you just got to just gotta know your dogs, know, know their presence, their weaknesses and that, and you, I think you can, you can teach it, but it's just not going to be as good as those natural ones. Very good, mate. Explained it well. What do you got, Laura? Um, I was just thinking, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given dog-wise? It was actually Kenny Atherton from WA. 
and I was year at um having a crack at a national kelpie trial and that was at Ningen in 2016 and I was still a little bit impatient with things and trying to you know I was in that rhythm of wanting to just go 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 and he came up to me and I made the nat top you know the top 10 of the national kelpie trial and he came up to me and said mate just roll a smoke I was yep. like what do you when you get somewhere just roll a smoke pretend you're rolling a smoke and from then on you're at an obstacle you know or at work and things aren't happening at work we'll just take five minutes pretend you're rolling a smoke and i'll actually get the fingers going pretending i'm rolling a smoke i'd hate to, know, I'd hate to see how bad my smokes would be but <laughs> uh, yeah just just take take a minute take a breath and just you know roll a smoke and then you know some a lot of the time things will then just start to happen like coughing yeah yeah that's me smokers cough (laughs) (laughs) that was uh mate it sounds like it was some good advice no it was it's pretty simple advice and it's you know mightn't be you know people might go but at that time it was smack onto what i needed sort of advice i was yeah i took it on right on board and i ended up that trial too so Ah, fourth, sorry, fourth. Well done, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Greg Prince was the judge, and I actually won the cast lift and draw in the open, so. Beautiful. Very cool. Mate, and um, you recently had a uh, change in your prefix there, right? Do you uh, you tra- do you breed many dogs? Uh, the last couple of years, I haven't really bred much. Um, just been... Yeah, I had a couple of jobs. I was just way too busy. Just and just, just didn't really want to breed. And um, <coughs> changed the prefix over to match him with my Derny stud. So that was the only read. That was just the reasoning behind that one, and just a fresh start. You know, starting the Derny stud and everything. So it was a fresh start. Um, and then this year, I plan to breed about four, four to five litters this year. I'm just in a bit of a rebuild phase with my pack. So, yeah, it's going to be pups galore here at the moment. And what are you, you – you've got obviously got a few different joinings in mind, mate. What are you considering um, when when you start to think and start to match dogs up? Yeah, so I just oh, – I just consider what their strengths are and what some, you know, their, you know the, your weakness and your strengths of your side as well as the bitch. Just try and – you know, get those things in my head, and then you know I'll look at bloodlines as well. You know, I want, you know, I want. You, you need to have that, uh, you know, that match up in the bloodlines just to, you know to try and get a bit more of a you know a straight line pups. Um, but you know, I've gone outside the box here with one litter and put a put a basically like a Motley's White's dog over a Capri dog, so. Just because they matched each other up a bit, you know, some some of their strengths were similar, and um, but yeah, they did both their weaknesses would hopefully, you know, take over for each other, fix each other up a bit. Beautiful. Um, in your eyes, what makes a good sire? He breeds better than himself. Um, yeah, he's. He could have sort of, he could have a bit of a a lack in temperament or something. But you put him over any sort of any any bitch, and next minute you've got these really strong strong minded, good temperamented dogs. Or you know, in, in any case, he could have a weakness, but his weakness he might throw as a strength into his pups. Um, so yeah, I think of, you know what makes a good sire is he just he, his progeny is the next step up from him. So what about something training versus breeding? What are your sort of thoughts around that? Because a lot of people say, you know, not the best bred dog will still with training become a great dog and vice versa. And what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it definitely can. Um, you can have the best bred dog in the world and you can make a couple mistakes as you train it and next minute you've got the worst dog in the world. And then you could have 
just an all-mile station bred dog, but he's got that attitude to allow to be trained, you know, and he'll take it all day, every day, just, just keep copping and copping the blows from your mistakes and just he'll keep coming back for you. So it, it, it you know, bloodlines, that's just Jason bred, you know, either one can work if they've got the good attitude to, you know, keep taking knocks and blows from you, you know, from your mistakes. So, oh, yeah, it, it doesn't matter too much to me, really. Yeah. And do you find in, uh, in the litters you've had that pups throw more towards a sire or a bitch or even split or? Yeah, I've had a couple of litters where um, I had one litter where they pretty much, there were six pups in it, one pup threw to the sire and the other five threw to the bitch. It was unreal. Like they just had the same temperament and sort of work style as the bits and it was full on just stupidity and the one good pup well, i actually sold him as a pup and i was kicking myself all the time for it but, you know he was the one that was going to be a good young dog and, um yeah the other ones just they 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 all had a bit of soft nature and that about them and whatnot and and i've had litters that split either way i've had couple that throw a little bit more towards the sore or, or a little bit more towards the bitch like that other one and um it just depends you know if you put the right bloodlines in there and combine them and you know match them up you're going to get a lot straight line if you match up you know match up some of the traits of the dogs too so you think um it doesn't have to be all lines it has to be traits and lines together yeah <clears throat> i reckon probably traits more for me for me i sort of look at traits a little bit more than bloodlines because i've chased bloodlines before and it's sort of been a failure a couple of times but you know that can just come down to having a weak sire or a weak bitch and you know those things can happen so you can't i won't rule out that bloodlines are very necessary but i think if you try and chase traits a bit more yeah. you're going to you're probably going to get a little bit better results. Yeah. And Benji being 16 years old now, um, AI versus uh, natural cover. What's what's your go there, mate? Like you've had your one, in a, maybe your one in a lifetime dog, a dog that's got you out of shit lots of, over and over again. Would you would you milk him and, and use him moving forward, or what, what do you think there? <sighs> probably won't use him. Going forward, he hasn't been the strongest side, which is a disappointment. I've had a couple of good dogs out of him, um, and I've seen a couple of other good ones by him. But as a as a as a whole group, he's probably been he's been a bit hit and miss, which is it's quite disappointing for how good of a dog he has. But you know he is. But mate, don't 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 hold him back. If he's if there's a female on heat, he quite there. He'll, he'll dodge me at work and he'll go home <laughs> under the cage. And if you give him half a chance, he'll get up. <laughs> and, and you know what, mate? Hats off to you too for, for saying that. Very the, honest, yeah. You know, pretty honest, mate. Uh, a lot of people, you know, everyone's got their – everyone's dog's the best. And um, you just um, saying that out right there, mate. A lot of respect to you for that. Oh, look, I, don't, I don't try and hide. I don't try and talk me dogs up. They are what they are. Me, I don't care if they're for somebody else or not. You know, you like them, you hate them. It's no, no skin off my nose, and I'll just. I've always never, I've never really talked them up too much because if I ever have, they go and run a muck on me or something. And I just say, mate, whatever you see is what you get. <laughs> you're the one spending every day with them, and you're the one feeding them. So as long as you like them, it's all about it, all right. That's right. So there's, a, there's another question here from Pete Rutherford. Um, with five litters in a year, how many pups will you start and how long do you give it to start ticking boxes? And as well as that, how many would you expect to still own in two years? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, this litter I've got in the ground now, I'm looking at keeping three out of it. There's six in there, so I'm looking to keep three. Um, I'd hope to keep, you know, in time, you know, one, at least one out of them. Um, 
if not two. You know, try and keep a dog in a bit if I can, but I predominantly want to keep a bit. Yeah, you know, and I want to try and keep at least one to two pups out of every litter. Depends, you know, if people come and snabble them up or they don't, you know, depends on how many I sort of hold on to. But, um, you know, I give them till six months. If if they're sort of really annoying me by six months, they're gone, they're at the door. I don't, I don't muck around. If they're not showing me what I sort of want to see, yeah, I don't, I don't bother. I don't put my time into it. Time's valuable. I don't want to waste it on dogs that aren't doing it. Yeah, just move on, get the next one. Yeah. Do you like to have a certain amount or an age or something? Say, some people might say every eight months they want to have a new dog coming through. Do you have a a time frame of when you want a new dog coming through or a pup? I used to. I used to try and get something new every six months, but that fell out the door pretty quick. I was just like, ah, just take when I get them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if there's a litter of pups that somebody else has had that I, you know, get pretty interested in, I'll just go, yeah, I'll go and grab one of them. You know, and if I have a joining there that the bits come and eat that I've wanted to be joined for a little while, just do it. You know, don't, don't, don't fuss over it, you know, because, you know, those ones you've got there, well, you might have a better one come along in those few pups. So, yeah, if you do have a better one come along, well, why not put time into him? Hmm. Question just come through from um, Dane West. What's your process to selecting those couple of pups from a litter before you let others select from your litter? Oh, there's not much of a process. Whichever pup likes me most, that's the one I just go with. That That's purely it. Yep. I, don't, I don't look at eyes. I don't look at the white spots on toes or if it's got floppies or it's got a pointy tail. Looks don't really matter to me. It's added, you know, the attitude and want to be with you. Yeah. You know, pup that wants to swing off your leg all day and the other ones are four Ks away. Well, I'll take him because, you know, you can kick it, kick him while he's down. He's still going to be there for you. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no, there's no process. I'd, if I start looking into it and trying to make a process, I'd, I'd do my own heading. <laughs> and, and is that the same for when you buy an outside pup? If you have yep. a choice of a couple of pups? No. Oh, if if they're all sold, there's only one left. You know, I'll just go out, give it here. I'll take take it, have a go at it. If it yep. don't work out, don't work out. But you know, what's harm in trying? Yeah. Just, just go with you know. But if there's a few to pick from, we'll just go and sit down, and whichever one wants to rip your bloody arm off, or you know, rip your pants. But he wants to be there doing it, you know, and the other ones go away from you. Well, that's the one I'll go with. Beautiful. That's interesting and good advice. So I, I do things a little bit different. I don't like those ones because the ones normally end up disappointing me. So yeah. uh, <laughs> I try to find something that doesn't want to have much to do with something that's pretty in the average there, you know, something that's not all over me and something that's not all away from me. Try and pick the one in the middle now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I used to do the old clapping and banging. You walk in there and try and find the one the strongest temperament that didn't worry about that stuff. And then I, you know, that sort of didn't really make much difference. And then I, you know, used to go for the rat litter because you think they'd have the bigger heart. And a couple of times, I. Nope. Had a phone call. You come back. There we go. A couple of times, I, um, you know, got a couple of handy dogs out, you know, picking the rat. And then a couple of times, it didn't work either. So it's. Oh, I just yeah, I just go whatever likes me at the moment, and that'll do. So, would you almost say the pup picks you in some aspects? Yeah, 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 definitely. If if they don't like you, yeah, yeah, yeah you got to like each other, really, don't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. What advice would you give to someone wanting to purchase their first dog or pup or their first workmate? Yeah, so what I would say is, you know, like a lot of people say, you know, you do your research and that, but know, know your job, what, you know, with your job you're going into, whether it's working with certain stock, big numbers, little numbers, um, and, you know, you've got to know your area. You know, I see a lot of people, they'll, they'll buy a dog that's not suited for their area because they buy a dog with high work. You know, workload, high drive, and they get them here. They don't have enough work. The dog just goes mad. 
they just got an A area. Do your research and, you know, go and watch the person work that. If you're buying a starter dog, watch him work it. And then, you know, if, if, if they're going for it, you know, for you to go and spend a day or a day or two with them at, at work and you get to take that dog and try and work with that dog a bit, you know, take the opportunity. It doesn't always, it's not always going to happen, but, um, you know, just try and, try and get a little bit of a bond with the dog. If you take him home, bond with him for the, you know, a week or two before you take him to work because I see all too often that people will just take the dog straight to work. He doesn't listen. They want to, they want their money back or something. Yeah. you got to bond with them first. So, yeah, advice, they just research bonding, just, <laughs> just knowing your area. Perfect, beautiful answer. Um, you mentioned earlier you've obviously travelled around the country a bit trialling. How long have you been trialling for? Ten years. This year is my tenth year. So back in 2012, I did my first one. And that was uh, Ning and Show, had a little yard trial there. Um, I still remember it. You know, old Ben's, he had a muzzle on because he had mongrel bite, back leg bite on him and uh, I remember Noel Hocking was the judge, I'm pretty sure it was, and yeah, I was there showing sheep as well, and for that I was working for, and Mr. Judge's talk, and he about completely balls it all up, and he, he's just like, oi, 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 where are you going? And so, yeah, you know, I'll never forget that sort of stuff, you know, and I try and take that into my own, if I go judging and there's an encouraged work about to go the wrong way, well, I'll just try and, you know, help him out like Noel helped me, so. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, mate. And for anyone that doesn't know, uh, know Daniel Pumper, what kind of trialling, what what we have a crack at, mate? What kind of trialling we have a crack at? Oh, I have a crack, I think. Yeah. I've, I've had a crack at cattle, three sheep, yard, utilities. Uh, I actually did a, oh, no, I, I just missed my chance to do a goat trial once. Out at Wanaring, I got there a bit late and yeah, missed my chance. But I was keen to go and have a go at it. But, um, I've done pretty much all. Can, I can admire that you'll throw your dogs into any situation, mate, and, and have a crack. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Like a carer, my dog got chased off in the cattle section, but I don't really care. I was just there to, you know, help help the charity run go. So you know. I'll go to other cattle trials and get run off too, but uh, I don't care. I'll just put myself out there. Beautiful. And uh, sorry, just while you mentioned that, mate, you, I just want to give you a bit of acknowledgement. You did mention the charity trial there. Um, for anyone that actually doesn't know Daniel Pumper here, whenever there is uh, something on for charity or a donation, he's one of the first people to actually donate a service fee, a pup, or a training day. Um, so Pump Dog, mate, pat on the back for that. Uh, I know that wasn't in our script and you weren't expecting that, but, um, mate, commend you on that because um, you're always one of the first ones to put your hand up. So no. thank you. I know that's it. It's, oh, well, if somebody's in need, why not help? Yeah, don't be stingy. Get out and help. Mm. We need more kindness in the world, so. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you're right, Laura. Back to trialing. Why do you trial? Oh, I just go there, you know, catch up with people you don't see all that often, you know, and um, drink a bit of beer and sit in that sit in that corner, bullshit corner, and you know, <laughs> talk a bit of that. And um, oh yeah, you know, you go there and have a look at a few other people's dogs, you know, you know, you know, to check out whether there's a potential sire there or or you know potential you hear of a potential joint you want to get a pup from but yeah i just go there just to stir the pot me really go and just pick on anybody it doesn't matter who you are i'll just go it stir the crap out of you <laughs> and keeping in mind that we've all got to go to work tomorrow mate um if you could make a change to any form of trialing uh what would it be and why Oh, some big nights talking about different stuff like this, mate. So yeah, yeah. Oh, look, 
there's not too much I'd really change. I think I'd with the, the only biggest thing I'd change is the way um, is is sort of more the judging side of things. There's there's um, a lot of discretion there, so yeah, we can try and tighten it up a little bit just to bring a few of the black and white stuff out. You know, make it a bit more black and white, then we'd be right, but. Oh, you know, people like Gary and Kevin, well, they should start on about 80 points at a, at a goal and the rest of us get 150. <laughs> uh, and, you uh, a, you're right, Galera. I was just going to say, do you have an achievement to you that stands out the most in your trialling? Yeah, well, like I said, you know, the achievement to be was to beat Greg Prince at a, a three sheep or a utility, but didn't get that chance so the next one was to beat Gary at a utility which I did in South Australia <laughs> the utility champs over there and uh, when was that 17 I think I think yeah about 17 or 18 like that and um yeah that was a massive achievement I was pretty proud of that so yeah stick that one up as <laughs> and, and do you have a favorite uh trial to have a cracker mate or uh particular event on the calendar? Actually, that one at Cowra, that was probably one of the most ones I've enjoyed enjoyed for a while, you know. It was a it was a charity event, so there was, you know, the shackles were off. Um, yeah, it was just a lot about having a good time. And, you know, Nath Cave there, he ran, a, he ran an absolute cracking trial for a limited time he had. Um, and, you know, all the people that helped him as well and, you know, get it all set up and whatnot, you know. But um, I think that one's been my favourite, that one, or the USD that, you know, Matty Sherwood that used to run at Trauger and it was a good one. Yeah, uh, look, I enjoy all trials, especially the hard ones. The ones that I don't get to get, a, get around and finish, well, I'm going to keep going back to them until I finish them. Beautiful. And you've mentioned patience a few times. Do you get nervous though? Oh yeah, bloody yes. Oh, I always get nervous. Um, in fact, to rain it in a fair bit. There'd be nights where I couldn't sleep the night before a trial. I'd yeah. be just that that cane and nervous. You know, thinking, oh, is my dog gonna do this? Is he gonna do that? Nah, don't worry about that now. I just worry about how much a fool I'm. Am I gonna look when I get on the beers later on? <laughs> <laughs> and Mate, getting around and doing uh, the fair bit of trial that you're doing in different formats, is there something that you see um, handlers struggle with and where do you think they can improve? Yeah, I see a lot of people sort of struggle with um, is is the pace inside, especially the trial, you know, just allowing, you know, instead of woofing it up, you know, put the dog down the back of the draft or the force yards and that and just barking, barking, barking and... You know, and then they call it up and he, he just comes up for no effect, you know, just just settling down for a moment and allowing stock to have a look. Just just showing a little bit of stockmanship and instead of just rip tearing all the time. And if if some of the people that, you know, just settled down a bit, held their nerve and just just yeah, rolled a smoke, you know, they could make a hell of a difference to themselves. Beautiful. And um, we always hear the debate, trial dogs don't make work dogs and work dogs don't make trial dogs. Absolutely. Yeah, righto. <laughs> That's your answer, well and truly. Yeah, yeah. and I've, I've had people out west say the same thing, trial dogs don't make work dogs. And I said, well, what do you think those dogs there are? And they're outperforming their, their hard, good station dogs and all this. Uh, yeah, my good station dog wouldn't do any good trials. They're too hard. I go and do the same job they're doing, do it in quicker time with dogs that are trial dogs. And they just, they won't see past it. So, yeah, some just got their heads too far up their own rear end and <laughs> refuse, to, refuse to, you know, own the fact that trial dogs are good work dogs still. Yeah. And uh, moving around within the industry, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to pursue a career in the livestock and agricultural industry? Uh, get out and do it because it's going to be the best time of your life. 
go jackarooing. Don't go looking for a station hand job or, you know, some sort of high role. Go whatever age, just go jackaroo. You'll have the best time of your life, whether it's down south, up north, you know, right up north territory, just go jackarooing because the shackles are off. There's not a lot of responsibility on a jackaroo, you know. You can go and destroy a motorbike <laughs> in the first six months and, you know, back, you know. Just, just go and, go and live life, go have a bit of fun. Which we're not endorsing at all, look after your equipment. <laughs> yeah, you probably should, you know, as a jackaroo, just go out, have a bit of fun. You know, it was the best time of my life, jackaroo, back in the, you know, a few years back, you know, there's was no responsibility really. So, don't matter what age you are, just go and do it for a year or two and I can guarantee you, you probably won't want to leave. Beautiful. Um, who would you like us to sit down on Dog Talk with that hasn't been on yet? I'd like to see a couple of different fellas. Um, one would be uh, Paul McPhail down at Beloka. I think, you know, he does a lot of good work, especially promoting working dogs through the, um, you know, the city communities, you know, especially through Melbourne and that. Uh, Ricky Jones, I think he'd be a good one to, you know, try and hear from because I don't know him. I've just heard about him a bit and I'd like to, you know, just see what he's got to say and I reckon it'd be interesting. And um, oh, probably Ken Atherton. He'd be an interesting one to have a talk to, I reckon, over in WA or Gordon Curtis over there as well. Yeah. What about totally different ballpark? Is there anyone we've spoken to that you would like to see us have an in-depth conversation about something with? Chris Davidon. When I watched his one, I was I started to get the fire really back in the belly again as he was talking. Yeah, I... I'd love to, you know, have you know, have a real big sit down. You know, not just on the dog side, but on the, you know, the merino breeding side. You know, just for talk about genetics and, you know, what he, you know, not just just don't base it just off dogs. You know, bring all the sheep stuff, the horse stuff into it. You know, just see yeah. takes his genetics and what he looks for and everything. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Uh, fantastic, mate. Well, it's coming that time of the night where uh, we get you to pick a question. Um, and that uh, whoever wins that will win a bag of Enduro Plus high-energy food for working dogs. Um, but our good friends at Enduro um, normally um, send our guests a bag of feed as well, and I know that you're good for feed. So what I'll get you to do, what we will get you to do, is pick two questions tonight that uh, got your attention, mate. Well, definitely won't be Mark Curry because he's just a rat bag. <laughs> <laughs> um Pete had a good one about, you know, looking at the traits and all that, you know, certain traits. So Pete Rutherford bite that one. Um, oh, trying to think now. Uh, oh no, I sent one out to carry there just for being just for being a good champ. Right, done deal. Mark Curry, you wanna uh, send us your details when you get a chance? And Pete, I'm sure I'll talk to you during the week. And I'll, I'll grab your details as well. And congratulations, you've got a bag of Enduro Plus high-energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat coming your way. I'd actually just like to add um, Enduro are now actually offering any of their three products, the Puppy, the Plus, or the Full Ball. Um, just let us know which one you're after. Thanks for reminding me, Laura. That's all right. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone, for jumping on. It's been a great chat, and thanks, Pumper. I really enjoyed it. So one last question, though. Would you rather fight 20 horses the size of ducks or one duck the size of a horse? Oh, I'd probably fight the 20 ducks, the, the, the 20 horses the size of a duck because I've got a pretty good kicking game on me, so I could boot a fair few across the park. <laughs> That's not what Gary told us. But anyways, <laughs> thank you. Across the park too. <laughs> Thanks again, mate, for your time tonight. Uh, Laura's, uh, anyone, I'm sure everyone's noticed that Laura's remote. Um, so, Laura, thank you for jumping on and uh, sacrificing some of your time away from your work crew there today. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, to all our viewers out there, please remember we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us.
Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys.